Hey friends, thanks for joining me, and welcome to episode 90 of In Too Deep. I'm your host, Jack Rowland. Today I am joined by the delightful and fascinating Frederick Brennan. Much of his story is outlined really well in the six-part HBO documentary called Q Into the Storm, which I highly recommend everyone watches. But in case you've missed it, I'll quickly fill you in. Fred is a computer programmer who in 2013 created the infamous image board website called 8chan. The concept of 8chan was almost a combination of 4chan and Reddit, where its users can post images and comment completely anonymously, making it a home for unregulated free speech. After a swift boom in popularity, the website became too much for Fred to manage, so he sold 8chan to Jim Watkins after being approached by his son Ron Watkins and continued on as an admin for the site. A few significant things happened with 8chan. It became a breeding ground for racists, white supremacists, and radicalization, as well as becoming the exclusive platform for a mysterious figure known as Q to post, giving rise to the QAnon conspiracy movement. Fred saw the writing on the wall and distanced himself from the website and the Watkins, as he believed 8chan and their management of the website was becoming increasingly harmful to society. Shortly after, 8chan was under heavy scrutiny as it was the platform chosen by the shooter responsible for the Christchurch massacre, killing 51 Muslims and injuring 40 more, to post his manifesto, and similar circumstances with the shooter responsible for the El Paso mass shooting. Aside from the increasing problem of racist echo chambers, the QAnon movement grew quickly, becoming a cult-like movement followed by millions and even started to have real-life effects on American politics. Although Fred was even accused of being Q in the early days, it is widely speculated, not proven, that Q is in fact Ron Watkins. Fred decided to go to war with the Watkins in an attempt to get 8chan taken offline. After making life very problematic for the shady father-son duo, Fred ultimately had to flee his home in the Philippines due to a libel case from Jim Watkins, which could have landed Fred with a minimum of six years in a Filipino prison. Due to the nature of his disability, it's safe to say it would have been a death sentence. All that aside, Fred also designs and creates fonts and offers much of his software programs for free. This chat, I'm also joined by my buddy Owen Hughes, who has been my window into the Qniverse and has been following this saga closely since it began. All right, let's get to it. Please welcome to the show Owen Hughes and Frederick Brennan. Is there a point to all this? I think we're getting in too deep. Down apply. Bad luck. Well, I have one speed, I have one gear. Go, 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 go. I'll tell you when we're getting in too deep, too deep, too deep. So it's kind of evolved into a lot of Q talk as well. Uh, I was covering Flat Earthers earlier on, but um, they're yesterday's news now. So, um, yeah. Are they? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe not. <laughs> um, uh, I guess in many ways, in many ways, they are yesterday's news, but mm. they still, amazingly, they still, every once in a while, are able to rope in a celebrity, and that's usually what causes them to kind of gain in traction. Yeah, um, they'll have like one up, like an uptick. Was was it like Tila Tequila or whatever? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Like they always try to get rappers or uh, sports stars. You know, <laughs> totally. <laughs> Scientology. I'm joined with Owen. How you doing, buddy? Good, mate. Good to be back. And internet royalty, Frederick Brennan. Hey, Fred. How you going? <laughs> I'm doing okay. I don't know if I'm internet royalty, but <laughs> I, I think uh, I think you've definitely earned the title, mate. At this stage, yeah. <laughs> so, um, man, thank you so much. Um, it's so great to talk to you. I've listened to so many kind of uh, 
podcasts with you on. The one with Duncan was great. Obviously, the Q Into the Storm documentary was just fantastic. And you are such a uh, interesting, likable, mischievous guy. I think um, it's it's uh, always enjoy hearing the things you have to say, buddy. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, I don't know that I've done that many podcasts recently, but yeah. Yeah. Um, well, well, thanks for making the time for us. Um, I thought I'd just kind of like kick it off with, you know, I mean, last that I really, apart from Duncan's podcast, it was the Q doco that I kind of really was keeping track. So I just watched episode five again, which is the escape from the Philippines, which just gave me uh, a huge amount of anxiety for you. That just looks like one of the most stressful ordeals uh, anyone would have to go through. Um, I'm just kind of wondering what what is what is life like for you after after that escape and a massive relocation and readjustment to your life. Well, um, well, first I would say that people often ask me if. Uh, Colin lied about any of the portrayal of that episode, and no, he didn't. Everything that he says happened did happen that way. Wow. Um, I know that it seems kind of reality TV, and that you know he might have tried to stretch the truth on some things, but he didn't. The power really went out in his building, so he had to trudge down a bunch of stairs with his suitcases. Uh, we really did miss a flight. The warrant really was filed at noon, and we really did get out. You know an hour or so before so all of the core details are correct uh we didn't miss a flight because we were late we missed it because obviously immigration rejected us the first time and then we had to get into a car and uh go to another terminal that was the advice that we were given which turned out to be good advice because apparently at least at that time in nino aquino international airport uh, the main airport in manila the terminals the immigration officials don't talk to each other (laughs) <laughs> yeah okay oh, sure yeah. <laughs> really um, convenient very convenient for me i don't i don't know if they're gonna you know yeah uh, they would probably view this as a huge failing in their security and they'll probably change it but mm. are they yeah, um, still after you uh depends on how you define after you right mm. because there is no extradition at Authority for this type of charge they do have the philippines does have extradition authority for serious charges like murder um right a rape you know that kind of thing where let's say a foreigner tries to go there and commit an act like that mm. and then they're thinking that they could just go back to their country and not face anything that's not true right like if the police figures it out they can you know go into a u.s federal court mm. through their embassy ask for this person back but their cyber libel statute despite the fact that in the philippines it's considered a serious crime that is charged above a lot of their other crimes it's charged uh, six to 12 years in prison six minimum um so ridiculous because of the speech act of 2010 in the u.s they aren't allowed to extradite for cyber libel so they are not able to request a legal extradition. Fuck yeah. And obviously the <laughs> Philippines is not like the Philippines is not like Israel or something. They don't have like a Mossad that they can just, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know, like you get people out of the country illegally. Uh, I don't know if you know about that case where Mossad actually like got a private jet and decided they wanted to try somebody in Israel. That's a really interesting case. Obviously 
even if, you know, I wouldn't rise to that level. But um, didn't they use New Zealand no, passports? Should... Like, and did, I think they yeah they had New Zealand passports, and it was like a diplomatic like a scandal. Like New right, Zealand yeah. was really pissed yeah, off. Yeah, something crazy. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I remember that. And I, the guy that they arrested is in Israeli jail now. So, but anyway, uh, they. So I guess they're still after me, sort of. I mean. If I were to go back there, I would be arrested. I know that. Uh, I'm on the immigration watch list hmm. as having a hold departure order. So if I were to go back there, I would be detained right away at the airport. But as long as I don't go back there, there's nothing they can do. And there are no more active hearings in the court. The court basically postponed the case until either I go back there or you know, forever. And, like and if I were to die before them, then it would never get reopened. So, yeah, and there's nothing they can do in the states. Like, there's no way that that any no, that shit would no, fly. No, the speech act of 2010. Even if that law didn't exist, it would be very hard for them to get an extradition. But that law specifically forbids them from getting an extradition. So they wouldn't even file to try to get one. So, I mean, kind of the way, you know, thinking about your situation of um, Jim Watkins uh, basically taking you to court for calling him senile, um, which, you know, according to his own philosophy of freedom of speech, uh, it's quite contradictory in itself. Uh, but nonetheless, right. kind of, the you know, thinking about it more, also seeing how it's kind of um, portrayed through the documentary, I mean, Essentially, given your condition that you that you were born with, it, it seems like it was more or less kind of indirectly a legal hit put out on you, right? I view it that way, yeah. I think that he was hoping that I would be detained at um, this facility called the Bureau of Immigration Bikutan Detention Center, which is a holding facility for foreigners that are uh, accused of a whole bunch of different things. Either they are accused of breaking a Filipino law, and so they're hold there, held there rather to make sure that they don't escape the country, because even if um, the Philippines doesn't allow like a foreigner to fly out of the country, uh, they're still worried that if they don't detain foreigners accused of breaking Filipino law, that th there are obviously a lot of ways out of the country that aren't and not all of them are like fully legal, you know, mm. passport stamp, that kind of thing. First of all, the immigration officials are <laughs> quite corrupt. So they could allow a foreigner to fly out that's not supposed to be allowed to um, and not stamp their passport. Um, another thing that could happen is if you travel to the south of the country, uh, um, the border with Malaysia is very porous. Boats are always going, like it's always in the news there. Like they'll always talk about Filipinos that got arrested in Malaysia working or Malaysians getting arrested in the Philippines for like, you know, doing crimes or uh, that's where the Abu Sayyaf is, which is a, a branch of the Islamic State that um, at one time it took over a city in the Philippines. But now it's I'm pretty sure defeated. But I don't know. the. Obviously, I haven't lived there in a long time, so I don't keep up with the local news as much as I used to. But yep. yeah, so anyway. To cut a long story short, they want to detain pretty much any foreigner that's accused of breaking their laws at Ikotan until their case is heard, which can be years and years and years. 
So, um, I don't know that I would have made it more than a week in, in mm. VIP Catan because it's a hugely overcrowded facility. It's it's only supposed to hold like I believe the official number is 110 foreigners, but it holds over 400. Um, it's just like a one room area with a uh, they call it there a tarpaulin on the on the ceiling. So there is really no ceiling. It's just a tarp, and obviously there's no air conditioning. Um, the BIB Catan inside is run by a Korean gang. Uh, Bloody hell. <laughs> but, Jesus. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy because some foreigners actually paradoxically want to stay in Bikutan. So these Korean criminals that run the facility, really, uh, you know, they bribe all of the officials. They are what's called pay to stay. So they pay the immigration officials to slow down their deportation. So... Because they know that if they get deported back to Korea or China in some cases, um, they will face very serious charges and, you know, they won't be able to have the kind of lifestyle that they have in BIB Bikutan where they're, you know, allowed to have prostitutes and use computers and phones. And there are apparently a few air conditioned rooms that are supposed to be for the uh, employees of the Bureau of Immigration, but... <laughs> They these rooms are actually, in a corrupt way, being used as cells for basically the kingpins of that place. Mm. It sounds a bit like mar- like the jail in Marching Powder in Bolivia. Yeah, it's just kind of mm-hmm. free for all. Yeah, I mean the Philippines. Yeah. The Philippines scare the hell out of me. Like it looks so beautiful, but I mean Duterte just sounds like a maniac. Didn't he like compare himself to Hitler? Uh, as he a, did. As, and the crazy thing is when I first. <laughs> Yeah, when I first went there, he wasn't in power, so I got right. to see, I got to see his rise to power, and he's claiming that he's going to allow an election, but I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't he's know. He's supposed either. to be, yeah, <laughs> he's supposed to be out of power next year. There's supposed to be an election, but I'm thinking he's going to do something like what Vladimir Putin did. Oh, for sure. Where one of his kids because she would be the front runner, Sarah Duterte is going to hold the title, but he is still going to be actually in power. Mm. Kind of like when Putin allowed Medvedev, right, to hold the title, mm. but he was still actually in power. And that's what most people that watch the Filipino politics are thinking is going to happen. The only candidate that has any chance of beating them is... Um, Lenny Robredo, the current vice president, because in the Philippines, president and vice president are elected separately and usually are from alternate parties. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it reminds me of like, kind of like Sahato. Is it Sahato or Sakano in Indonesia? Like like the family held they held power for quite a long time. Anyway. Hmm. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, it's something like that. And, and this is very common in the Philippines, actually. It just never occurred... On the, well, they don't call it federal there. They call it national. It's not a federal system. But on the national level, there never was a family that held power like this. They they don't have a history of a dynastic rule at the national level. They do at the uh, provincial level. It's very, very common for the provinces to be totally captured by a certain family. Okay. Um, but now, you know, Duterte is changing 
Yeah, I mean, he scares the hell out of me. Um, honestly. Well, he should. I mean, yeah. I could tell you so many crazy things about him. Like, first of all, he's totally a hypocrite. He has admitted to a Filipino reporter that he uses fentanyl himself. No shit. Like, prescribed <laughs> fentanyl from a doctor. But still, like, yet he's this anti-drug crusader while most of the time he's giving speeches, he's probably as high as I am. Like, what is, I don't know. I, I would just say that knowing what that drug is, you know, having used it for chronic pain, probably the same reason that he's convinced this doctor to give it to him, right? It, I would never trust myself to be like a president of a country. It's way too important of a job. Yeah. <laughs> you to be high as fuck while yeah. you're trying to do it. You know? It's like, it's pretty common though. Don't you, don't you find like the people that rail the loudest against certain things, like whether mm-hmm. it be like, like homophobes or like drugs or. Right. It's something they hate about themselves. Yeah. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, yeah. Hey, hmm. speak, speaking of drugs, um, Frederick, uh, I'd love to ask you, I don't know how detailed you'd like to be, but uh, I heard that you created the entire idea for 8chan uh, on a mushroom trip. Is that correct? That's true. Are yeah, you, are you able to kind of give us some kind of, um, what was the mushroom trip like? Was this kind of like a real visionary kind of quest or was it more just like an out-of-the-box idea? Um, I feel like psychedelic trips are... Well, first of all, they're understood by, misunderstood rather, by a lot of society. They tend to be very, if you have like what's called a good trip versus a bad trip. Like if you have a good trip, they tend to be very kind of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? They tend to be very supportive of whatever path you're on in life, right? So mm. because before I founded a chan I was already an image board admin. I was wizard chance admin. So it was kind of like I already had all of this life experience. So what I would have been thinking about while tripping, you know, they tend to be supportive of whatever path you're on. So I, at that time, was, you know, had just left Wizard Chan, of course, because I was virgin anymore. So I wanted to start another image board, but I didn't know what it should be about. And that was kind of a problem that I was struggling with, like, I had a few ideas, but I didn't, and I definitely didn't want to start a site that wouldn't be um, very technically different than all the other ones. I uh, I was mostly in it for the technical aspects, which makes me different than some other image board admins. I um, wanted, you know, it to be very technically impressive. So I had the idea on that mushroom trip to basically combine a site that most of most image board users hate. And I think that probably being under the influence of this psychedelic drug was what allowed me to kind of um, break through that kind of conditioning, right? Mm. And not think of something like this because it's something that obviously is hated. Image board users hate Reddit. It's very well known. Mm. But to kind of break through that conditioning and be like, well, you know, try it anyway. So that's when I came up with the idea of basically user administered boards. And yeah, that that's how HN was created. Uh, obviously, <laughs> you know, the Watkins family would end up. Yeah. 
I mean, you know, it's it's a good psychedelic story, but it also gave birth to a to a beast that you couldn't control, right? Um. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that's very true. Uh, but it does sound visionary I really too. The wrong people, because I, when I look back, I really was not so interested in being an image board admin. Like I was more interested in all of this technical aspects and I think that I I really viewed what was going on in the room. Like I viewed myself as like a free software developer. And so for me, 8chan was just a free software project. And I was never that concerned with making sure that I would maintain ownership, that it would always have the same domain or, you know, those kinds of things. I was thinking like I want to make sure that this software does well and that this idea of user administrated boards you know for me what would have been ideal would be if 4chan would have just adopted my user administrated boards idea so yeah i uh clearly viewed it all wrong and i didn't really understand that these communities kind of have a life of their own and they need a they need, you know, somebody that's very socially adept, which I really am not. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a really strange culture, isn't it? The kind of, um, well, strange for me, who's not really uh, immersed in it, probably very uh, um, familiar for, for, I don't know, you or, or the, the average um, kind of Chan user. Um, but, yeah, I mean, through, through all this, this QAnon um, drama that's unfolded uh, and that, you know, you've for a period of time really made it your mission to kind of take down the Watkins and get um, HN off offline. Are, are you, mm-hmm. are you now in the kind of, I guess the Chan culture, are you an enemy of these people? Are you, is it divided? Like where, where does your kind of, um, where do you sit in it in this online culture these days? Well, I don't really use image boards that much anymore, but right. even though some image board users might consider me as their enemy, I don't necessarily see myself that way. I definitely see myself as the enemy of the Watkins family. Yeah. Jim Watkins, Ron Watkins. But <laughs> and we're grateful for I that. I <laughs> also, at the same time, you know, have the opinion that Fortune, the largest image board, is run pretty well for what it is and given that there is a demand for this kind of website their rules seem to work well and you know i i figure that it would be such an abridgment on people's freedom of speech to not allow any image board at all that at least you should have ones that are run in in a responsible way for example fortune banned talking about q they banned gamergate you know, they banned all sorts of things. And, and despite the fact that even at its peak, you know, when the Christchurch shooting happened, 8chan was 10 times smaller than 4chan. So there was something uniquely bad about the Watkins' administration abilities that caused that tragedy, because similar tragedies have never happened in 4chan's history. The largest shooting directly connected to a 4chan user happened in 2010 and I, I, I can't remember that many details about it but 
obviously it led to a whole bunch of crackdowns and a ton of changes in their internal systems to make sure that it just wouldn't recur. But meanwhile, 8chan was well known by its users that the Watkinses had a very laissez-faire policy that they essentially considered themselves chaos merchants, that Ron Watkins's motto was embrace infamy, embrace chaos, that kind of thing. So mm -hmm. they knew that even though the Watkins family would never come out and say this, that they viewed mass shooting events as broadly positive for their website Good as in, in terms of right <laughs> in terms of publicity in terms of making it more edgy in terms of attracting more users that want to see the most extreme content online and so that's so fucked up <laughs> uh, yeah exactly so they will never run hn in a responsible way like you know hiroyuki with 4chan they just stuck at image ward administration um yeah, I was know, really just, oh, like complex art. Yeah, I was really been thinking about about the you know the the deep down motivations of the two of those people, and I was you know it strikes me with Jim that yeah like you know the kind of war that you were waging on on eight chan was personal in the sense that it was affecting his bottom line, and maybe he's you know just a bit spiteful that you know his ex employee was making his life more difficult, but it. Um, Obviously, I, I oppose everything he stands for, yeah. like his fascism. Yeah, totally. <laughs> his, you know, belief in the fact that we need a fascist military coup and his, you know, administration of HN, such as to cause people to bring, you know, carry one out. I obviously oppose him totally. But, you know, I, I don't think the image boards necessarily need to lead to that. And 420chan and 4chan show that they don't, you know, when they're administered differently, that Sure, they still have a lot of negative consequences, but, you know, people aren't dying in vast numbers and our politics aren't getting totally fucked with. So. Yeah. It's like, it's just more also just thinking about the, yeah, the difference in the motivations overall between Jim and Ron, like in terms of not only the image board, but like in, you know, in terms of their approach to you. And it seemed to me that Ron, mm -hmm. that Ron it's like I feel like he kind of in a way hurt his feelings <laughs> like on top of the, you know, getting getting into, you know, HN business and, you know, whatever. It seems like, you know, taking away his kind of golden goose that he was, you know, using to try to um, gain infamy and, and influence on, mm -hmm. to on top of money and all that kind of stuff, that seemed to me to be a, a really, a, you know, prime motivator. Well, I mean, I'd agree with that. It definitely hurts his feelings for me to say, you know, you're terrible at administrating an image board and Hiroyuki is way better at it than you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is essentially my position, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's interesting hearing you say that they're agents of chaos because um, <clears throat> re-watching re um, Q into the storm and just kind of really um, just thinking about how they say that they're free speech absolutists um, and we've already gone through the example of him, um, you know, trying to pin you down on defamation or whatever. But if, mm -hmm. the, I guess my kind of trying to understand the Watkins, um, he, they claim to be free speech absolutists. Then why do they push free speech to the absolute limit, making it so problematic 
that authorities ended up having to feel the need to deal with it. And I think that was actually probably more their goal, was actually trying to push free speech to the limits where it would have to be censored, completely doing uh, free speech a massive, massive disservice. Exactly, and that's... And and I no. think I think that no, I, and I I kind of concluded that I believe there uh, may, maybe more Jim, um, his objective is actually chaos. Right, and that's a great point, and that's the point that I also make when I talk to people like Josh Moon, owner of the Kiwi Fund, that he claims to be this free speech absolutist and that he's doing free speech this great service by running the Kiwi Fund, but because of his totally unbending ideological view towards, you know, his role and the purpose of the Kiwi Farms and his service, all of that, same as Jim Watkins, they are unable to just bend in the smallest ways to ultimately preserve free speech online by making authorities less interested. Like, if we think of Moon, the reason that the Kiwi Farms were ultimately lost, you know, uh, their I believe that they're now being hosted by Nick Lim, same guy that, you know, is hosting Acoon. Um I believe that that's the case, or, or something with the domain or, or something like that. I, obviously, I don't, I haven't really looked like, deeply into it. But it, in any way, the point is this, that you're totally right, that it's all about attention. And it's all about also signaling to their users that they have these beliefs. It's really about pragmatic, you know, ways of actually defending free speech in the here and now. It's all about just their users calling them based and being like, oh, you know, even though it was super hard, you've done this uh, sacrifice for us. Like, they want to be seen by their user bases, you know, like, like, like Jesus Christ, really, like yeah. that, you know, <laughs> all the people just don't understand their extreme conviction in, in, in free speech. But when you actually look at the issues that they're, you know, the hills that they're deciding to die on, they're ridiculous hills. Like, you know, in, in the case of Watkins family, the hill that they, you know, uh, decided to die on was, you know, allowing somebody to be a government agent on their website, IEQ. Well, that's, you know, what they said to the world. But in reality, I feel like Ron was posting. And I think maybe even Jim didn't know. Um, that's what that I think as well. Is, really? Yeah. yeah. Just, was interesting. Interesting. Because uh, yeah. Jim does, Jim seems to me to be, uh, like, he's he's not that kind of in, in tune. With, he's super aloof as well. And he's in yeah, good with computers. It. Jim Watkins. Yeah, like he's, yeah Jim Watkins a is a very voice. aloof guy and he (laughs) he is just i don't know like he is so difficult to talk to and (laughs) (laughs) he just i feel like he is manipulated constantly by ron watkins that ron watkins having grown up with jim knows all the buttons to push on him to kind of get the actions that he wants taken taken like for example the entire reason that Jim owns a chain right now in the first place is because Ron Watkins reached out to me, right? And he convinced his dad to do this. So Ron is really, I feel, the one that's actually in charge of Jim's empire. Like Jim is the one that 
has his name and everything. And he is, uh, he believes he's in charge, right? Let's put it that way. Yeah, one of yeah. The fascinating, yeah. One of the fascinating things that I remember about working there was that oftentimes um, Ron would convene meetings between him, myself, and Tommy. And the entire purpose of the meeting was to figure out how to trick Jim into believing something. Oh my like, God. <laughs> yeah, because we knew that otherwise Jim would make an extremely bad decision. So we would produce false reports. <laughs> we would uh, lie, flat out lie. And he, you know, Ron would just make sure that we all knew what the cover story for Jim was about a certain thing. Like, <laughs> oh man, yeah, there's, that makes yeah. so much sense. That makes so much fucking sense to me because, like, I've always thought that, or not, not always, but I really started to dawn on me that, without a doubt, in my mind, that Ron was the one posting as Q from the beginning of 2018. I mean, the first poster, I that too. Yeah, yeah, like maybe the first poster was that that South African dude, which is why he seems mm-hmm. so like adamant that he knows that Q isn't, you know, Q mm-hmm. at the time. Um, yeah, Paul Ferber. Yeah, yeah, but it makes so much sense that 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 Ron's or, or like not only running a game on you know like the cue boards and like everyone that reads the post, but he's running a game well, on I his dad as well. Ron Wat- I, yeah, I believe Ron Watkins is a psychopath. I have just <laughs> seen how easily he lies to people that it really it's nothing. He it's strikes nothing. me as a bad I, liar too. Like he's not convincing, at least in the documentary. Honestly, <laughs> honestly, <laughs> yes. Yeah, he he's not super convincing, but he also is. It, it just comes so easily to him to lie. That he enjoys even if he's it. He's not convincing. Just the constant repetition and the fact that he will never, like you know, bend on a lie. Right? Like like even even at the end of the documentary when he uh, accidentally said that he's been doing this for years. Right? He still did not. Like he just has no shame. That's the real. <laughs> where he's just a totally shameless and like another thing is like why I believe this is his uh, infidelity to his his wife. Like he will claim to her all the time that he's turned over a new leaf and isn't cheating anymore. And then he will just go right back to cheating. And he, uh, he learned that from his dad, by the way, but um, (laughs) they're, they're, they're just so similar in that way. The way that they are just so that it just comes naturally to him to lie about things like this. And I mean, you know, had I been in charge of HN at the time that you went there, I would have banned him. I would have made the case to the user base that he represents a legal threat. And, you know, history would have been totally different. Yeah. Well, absolutely yeah. would have been. Like, there's been so much shit that has happened since, you know, Q started posting. Like, I just, you know, go back to, yeah, like 2018, 2019. Well, that's why the Watkinses didn't want me involved in, in any HN decisions in the <laughs> yeah. in the two years that, that I was there and I wasn't uh, involved in HN's day-to-day. I would still opine on it. And Yeah, this guy <laughs> seems to have morals. He's got to take him down. Yeah, get, Ron, get like they guy. wanted me. they wanted me as far away <laughs> from that as possible like jim also runs uh two channel and mm. ultimately that's what caused me to leave i don't know if this is what's if it's gone over in the documentary i feel like it's not going over as well like why i actually quit because obviously 
uh, Cohen shows up like when the decision's already been made, right? So right. And when I'm like, yeah, he shows up early, but he shows up like when I've decided I'm leaving. So I think it's presented more pres- as like when he busted into the house is, is more like the presentation of when, you know, the final straw yeah, for you. Yeah, but not really because the reason he busted into the house was because I was talking about quitting. So, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so what precipitated that was they already knew that I thought 8chan was a failed project. Or I resigned from it in 2016. But they, as soon as I resigned, Jim Watkins didn't want me to leave the Philippines. And so he offered me the role of uh, writing software for 2Channel, his Japanese site, which is basically like, just keep him in the company, put him as far, far away from 8chan as possible, right? Like make him work on a site in a foreign language even. Yeah. So, um, But you learned which, kanji, way, right? Like you, didn't, you learned yeah. Japanese, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I, I guess I would say I'm intermediate in Japanese now, uh, which, yeah, that's exactly part of the problem because when I was learning Japanese, like I had always been interested in learning the language, but now that I had this work excuse to really buckle down and, and figure it out, I um, came to the conclusion that they stole two channel. And when I confronted them about this, so I got, uh, there was a court decision that was made, I believe in 2017. And it was posted by Hiroyuki, but only in Japanese. And so I took this court decision and I secretly paid like $150 or something to have it translated on gango.com, which is just a place where you can submit uh, any text and have it translated. And so I got back this English translation of the court decision, and it infuriated me that they had lied to me for so long about having created two channel and being its rightful owners when the Tokyo District Court is like, well, you know what, actually, this is stolen property and Jim, you owe so much money, right? And the only reason that it was thrown out in the Supreme Court was just because um, the, the Supreme Court of Japan was just because there was no legal contract. And so the Supreme Court decided that even though Hiroyuki's right, you know, that there's just no way to compel. And, and anyway, the crazy thing is it wouldn't matter because of this like Jedi mind trick bullshit that they did where they renamed two channel to five channel, but they redirected the domain that they stole to ch.net, five ch.net. And then they also got all of the browser apps, people that developed the browser apps for uh, Android, OS X, uh, Windows. They got all of them, all of those people to uh, basically swear fealty to Jim by giving them a cut of the ad revenue and because because two channel was already stolen and so it was the largest you know site they could offer way more money than Hiroyuki could so it was like, oh, it's just like as a, long oh. as they were able to keep it stolen for six months they were able to finally you know move the site and then and now that they've moved it to the domain 5ch.net a domain that they own the trademarks for. Uh, that's why Ron went to Japan originally to go and uh, trademark the trademark Go China, which means 
channel in Japanese so that they are basically totally legally insulated, even though morally they stole it. Like, it's so shady. Yeah. It's so shady and insidious. Like, right. what a bunch of scumbags. <laughs> I totally agree, and that's why I quit yeah. way back in 2018 because I just couldn't in good conscience, like a, like when I knew, you know, and 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 what still pisses me off to this day was Ron Watkins's answer to my claims, and all he said was that like he just made it about my job security or my, like the security of me being able to live in the Philippines. And his immediate answer to me was, "Well, Fred, you don't have to worry. Hiroyuki is never going to get it back." Hmm. So it was like, despite the fact that they had been lying to me for years about, you know, having made... Because their story to me was that they made two channel and that Hiroyuki was a figurehead and that he was just useful with them because they didn't speak Japanese and they needed a Japanese-speaking figurehead to sell it to the Japanese public, right? That was their story. But um, it, the, the, just how easily he, when he got found out in a lie, just how shameless he was... And how he thought that I would be equally shameless to just be like, you know, oh, well, he'll never get it back. Well, that's fine. And I, I guess I am going to happily allow, you know, I guess that I'm just going to happily continue to uh, do server administration and write software for for, for your five channel. They're like the, uh, the cyber mafia, keeping it in the family. Yeah, and, and, <laughs> and, and so obviously they totally misjudged my character because... Like, as soon as I knew it was stolen, I was basically out. I just had to figure out how to get out. Mm. <laughs> and they are a lot like a mafia. I mean, yeah, it was that... Because I was scared, you know, I didn't... Before the shootings, uh, I had this ridiculous belief that I could somehow lay low and kind of stay in the Philippines. But as long as Jim didn't think that, like, I was a threat to him, that maybe he wouldn't you know, attack me. And, and I felt like maybe we had kind of a shaky truce where as long as I didn't publicly um, deride him or 8chan or anything, you know, that they would just kind of kind of ease off. But I'm just not that kind of person. And, and when the shootings happened, I felt like their administration of 8chan was so bad that I had a responsibility to, you know, let people know um, that, they're going to get more and more people killed and you know that just mm. i guess broke the camel's back and obviously you know once i had said all that i when people asked me because they were a bit they were a bit they found it odd that i somehow like had foresight like that's, that's how one reporter put it like right. why did i resign these few months before like why did i cut ties with the watkins family totally before the um the shootings how did i know and that's when i started to have to go into the hiroyuki stuff and yeah but but it's also like like i mean you could just see the direction that it was headed based on how the administrate administration was run they weren't clamping down right. on, on any of this shit and there's also, right. you know, the other stuff. So it's like, it's not, it's not like I had some, you know, crystal ball that I could see there was going to be shootings, but I can just see the direction of this is highly problematic and, you know, potentially dangerous. Yeah. So I'm out. Like, it's, I mean, for me, it was a little bit of a shock, but I guess, you know, I guess I'm just a 
I guess I was just too deeply in in having used image boards for so long that I just I didn't think that you know I didn't think that you could run an image board so badly that that kind of thing happens because obviously 4chan's poll was full of Nazis but there are you know there are nobody planning a shooting and then posting their manifesto on there and you know it's yeah. radicalizing people to that degree so I I I was a bit shocked um that that you know happened but I mean obviously when when it happened and the, the first reporter to really get me on the phone and ask me you know to tell me well to, yeah ask me to justify it essentially being like you know you're the one that created 8chan uh can you justify this on free speech grounds or should the site be shut down i mean i couldn't justify it at all i said yes shut it down they're, they're terrible administrators and uh, obviously that became the quote that i became known for you know shut yeah. it down <laughs> hmm. Yeah, and fucking rightly so. <laughs> Heaps glad right. it's down. Like, um, I don't feel like I can just avoid talking to a reporter, you know. So. Yeah, that's bad, man. Um, we kind of talked about, you know, uh, sorry, Jim being, you know, chaos possibly being a, a big motivation for him. But I'm just kind of wondering, you've known these guys very well. You've gone to war with them. I'm just wondering, what are your kind of assessment of each of their motivations or like what's their kind of end game or what are they what are mm-hmm. they both after because I, I i do think that there might be two slightly different motivations for the guys there are yeah so obviously they don't want just chaos or like just chaos alone they want chaos that they control and so, uh, yeah if it serves them right they want chaos that serves them so it's not like it's not like they would be happy with I don't know, a socialist uprising with, you know, right. Bernie Sanders <laughs> declaring it a national emergency that the minimum wage is so low, like something like that, right? Yeah. Which would cause a bunch of chaos. <laughs> but it wouldn't be the chaos they want. They want the type of chaos that is fascist chaos. Like, I believe that both Jim and Ryan are highly politically motivated specifically motivated by their far-right politics. Mm -hmm. Um, They differ a little bit in what they want to see happen. Jim Watkins is more of a, uh, like, he, Jim Watkins views himself as Larry Flint, and that's how he wants to be remembered. He wants to be remembered as this brave free speech warrior that defended free speech at all costs and, you know, was controversial during his lifetime, but popular afterwards. Like, Mc, like McAfee. <laughs> yeah. 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 Something like that. <laughs> actually, the, the crazy thing is Jim Watkins and Don McAfee actually behave in very similar ways. Really? Uh, you know, with the whole, yeah, with the whole bribing officials overseas, living mm. this international lifestyle, all the prostitutes, all the, you know, uh, all of the, the the fact that he even uh, what am I looking for? Yeah, acquaints himself with criminals in the Philippines as protection, right, or wherever he mm-hmm. is. I I'm surprised, and I think that maybe COVID travel restrictions are the only reason that Jim is even still living in the United States. It's crazy to me that 
is still, and maybe it's money. Like, they might be financially, I don't know how they could be, though. I haven't quite, quite worked out why he hasn't just been like, okay, well, I'm banned from the Philippines now. Let me just, you know, hitch a, hitch a ride to Thailand or hitch a ride to Indonesia, you know, yeah. a similar country. He can do the same bullshit as before with all his money. Because, yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe he's thinking that he does have a lot of power with certain elements of American society. Mm-hmm. And it's quite possible that, you know, he's being served well by certain, you know, either militia groups or, you know, white supremacist groups that are, you know, doing a lot of his bidding up there in Northern California where he lives. Uh, the exact city where he goes to collect checks that people mail HN because <laughs> he's been banned from so many uh, payment processors that that's the only way he can receive donations. It's actually <laughs> uh, cash or checks that are mailed to um, his P.O. box in Davis, California that he physically goes to pick up. Uh, yeah, because it's, it's like, because, you know, um, I'm sure you're aware, but, you know, Ron's in, in Arizona at the moment. Yeah, he is now. Yeah. Yeah, and he's got, yeah. like, printouts of, like, his Telegram channel, like, shit posts from his followers, and he's reading them out to the... Arizona Attorney General that just did the audit that proved Biden got 300 more votes. Was he actually allowed in the Attorney General's office? I don't know, but he said on the video. No, because what I saw, yeah, what I saw was that he was, that video of him looking like an absolute clown. Oh, so Standing outside, right outside by the sign. And he just, you know what the thing about Ron is when he tries to, in video form, act as Q, he just sounds so insincere. Mm -hmm. Like, he sounds like he doesn't actually believe what he's saying. Like he doesn't really talk with any genuine conviction where he, he'll say like a very catchy slogan, like, you know, uh, to do the right thing, you must indict or something like that. But he doesn't like, he doesn't raise his voice. Everything is just monotone. It's like, he just lacks conviction. And what I saw in those videos is that he goes to this attorney general's office. He, Stands outside and makes that sign, and then he walks into the office. He gets given a little visitor sticker, like, you know, the average Joe, you know, and then they tell him to leave. Like, it was the least effective protest in history, even less effective than Laura Loomer. Yeah, you know, attaching herself to the doors of Twitter. Because when Loomer did that, at least some of the Twitter employees that are, like, you know, uh, programmers or even some involved in trust and safety, I remember, actually, you know, gave her some coffee and talked to her a little bit, like, she got more out of them than than, than Ron did. Like yeah. Ron just got to talk to a secretary and then thrown out. <laughs> and in case you don't know, Jack, she handcuffed herself to the front of Twitter, but only to one of the hand only one of the doors, so they could <laughs> yeah, still open the yeah. door. <laughs> That's yeah. right. But it, it it was funny because like people thought that she was so laughable and pathetic that some of them, you know, who were doing their jobs at Twitter, actually decided to go talk to her. Uh, yeah, there are some descriptions by Loomer of what happened, and I'm pretty sure even some videos that she took. Yeah, yeah, there's a few, and yeah, yeah, because that, that's the thing. Yeah, with Ron is like this, his whole persona out the front of in that in that video anyway just seemed like a really really low energy IRL Q drop. He probably sees it as like hypnotic, right. you know, monotone and hypnotic kind of. Uh, Just like his I'd martial agree. arts yeah. videos. Yeah, you know? alluring kind of strange. But again, like all this kind of comes back to like what. So 
I think, yeah, I think you guys are totally, well, I, I wouldn't know, but yeah, Jim's motives would probably be money politics. But I mean, Ron's definitely seems like he's, he's, um, well, much they're more both motivated in- by fascism. They want to see a fascist coup. Mm. They want to see fascist rule. They want to see, like, for example, I know for a fact that Ron really, really, really hates black people. And he's Damn. married to a um, Chinese national. Uh, and one of the stories he told me, and, you know, he lies so much that it's difficult to say if it's true, but I believe it just because it rings true. So I don't know if you know this, but um, Chinese citizens are doing a lot of business in Africa right now. Yeah. No. They are, uh, like, their government is, let's just say, giving, like, a lot of, like, easy loans Chinese nationals to do business in Africa, and they are uh, basically at the diplomatic level working with the staff of these African countries to relax their immigration rules and relax their, um, you know, as far as, like, Chinese people working in Africa, which would usually not be allowed. Or, like, limits Uh, on, like, foreign ownership or something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And a lot of those rules have been relaxed by basically diplomatic pressure and loans from the Chinese government. And so he told me that his wife, her family, has a lot of, like, benefited financially a lot from those businesses. And the way he put it to me was that, you know, the only problem that they face are that N-words are so, you know, you can imagine what comes next, that it's difficult Mm. to, like, train them, according to him, to do anything. And so he's super racist. And... You know his family is super racist. So and that's and that's just I, like some old school racism too. It's just oh yeah, oh like it's so old school that it's literally there's even an element of colonialism, right? Mm, it's just exactly he he views see, even though he's half Asian, he doesn't view that as like negative. Like his idea of race is all IQ based. So oh yeah, views, one of those you guys. Know, yep. Yeah, he views. Asians and, and white people and Jewish people as being like, like the top of the, the, the food chain in terms of um, racial superiority. And so he just wants to see an America that is run by a race, racist fascist regime. And so that, you know, that's his political hope for the world. Uh, yeah, I kind he of got it as like Turner Diaries light, you know, like yeah. not a full Turner Diaries, think, but just, yeah. I think he's jealous of his wife in, in, in the sense that like he thinks that the U.S. government should be doing what the Chinese government is doing in Africa. And he's kind of jealous that he can't use the money from Two Channel to do that same kind of thing because U.S., you know, American-run businesses aren't allowed to bribe foreign officials. He can get in a lot of trouble if it's found out. So he, yeah, what, what the sense I got from that conversation with him was that he, you know, if I'm trying to figure out his motives, he really wants to see a resurgence of fascism, colonialism, you know, and, and, and that kind of thing. And the way he would put it is, this is the only way that we can, uh, you know, fight against China. And uh, I might be wrong, but I feel like Trump at one time even said that, oh, well, 
you know, they're allowed to bribe, but we're not allowed to bribe. It's stupid. You I'm know, pretty sure 100% which, he said that, yeah. Yeah, which, which Ron really liked. And it's the same, you know, with Trump kind of talking to Putin about, you know, we don't have the same problem as you guys, you know, um, you guys don't have the same problem as us with fake news media in your country. You can just lock them up, but we got to deal with these, you know, yeah. fucking journalists. Yeah, like, you know. it's exactly like that. Ron really, like, envies authoritarian regimes and thinks that America would be better if it was run more like the Chinese communist state or the the, the Russian state. More, more the Chinese because he has a lot more uh, familiarity. He lived in China for a lot of years. That's how he met his wife. So uh, <laughs> that's why it's crazy to me that the Q people think that he is some great enemy of China. I mean, mm. he he would, you know, he would love to see an America that is run essentially like China, you know, like in harmony with China. Yeah, I almost um kind of thinking about it. I almost think that we could see a lot more of Ron in coming years because um, he's managed to become so influential, and I and I think that that might be one of his his um, motives is if having I mean, power. It blew my mind when Trump retweeted. Oh, yeah, I mean yeah, Trump's been retweeting him. Uh, also, like his uh, was um, featuring in Mark Lin- Mike Lindell's uh, cyber symposium until which... his lawyer cut him off after three minutes. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, right, right. <laughs> but I mean, nonetheless, I mean Mike Lindell, wacky as, but there there is a very very real chance that Trump could get back in because um, mm-hmm. I don't know whatever you think about Biden, he's pretty damn old, and I don't think he's as switched on as he once was, and. Kamala Harris doesn't seem to be all that popular either. So if Trump does kind of triumph again in um, in the next election... Well, that's I the feel... end of the American Republic. I'm not going to But I, I really wouldn't... Um, Trump's the kind of guy that's like, you know, if you are all in, I'm, you know, you've got my approval. If you're loyal to me, you've got my approval. Mm-hmm. So I, I could imagine all this, you know, appearing at the cyber symposium and all that, as wacky as it seems to us, um, just be like Trump would be like noted. And I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if someone like Ron ended up being like a, a senior advisor to Trump. <laughs> but, but oh, it- yeah. I mean, <laughs> I think in the next, God forbid, if Trump gets back in power, which would be very bad for me, you know, if, if Ron was in a position of power, which I, I agree <laughs> with you, I think it's unlikely to happen. Yeah, but... Um, Is that unlikely or likely? Am I just being no, ridiculous? No, no, it's, it's like there's no way that Ron I would get a cabinet like, position, but maybe like yeah, a I, Scavino or something. Well, General Flynn would be the one with the cabinet position. Ugh. Um, I feel like the Democratic Party really has underestimated how close we got a fascist regime and the only thing that stopped it was that ultimately Trump doesn't love anything more than he loves Trump and so the only reason that Trump was willing to go all in and like you know cultivate a loyal secret service agent who would actually physically shoot Mike Pence something like that Mm. you know the only reason that he wasn't willing to do the kind of third world tactics that lead to a real coup, you know, like whit off as much of the military as he can, that kind of thing, like the mm-hmm. traditional coup tactics is just because he was afraid of what would happen if he lost. That's it. But, you know, Adolf Hitler shot himself and I feel like we're in a really precarious position 
Trump almost causing a coup just shows that if some fascist gets into that office with the same kind of Hitler, you know, personality where they're willing to give anything, including their own life for fascism, we're fucked. Yeah. Because that lame duck period really gives them... It, it, it's basically a period to do a coup in. It, 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 yeah. And they tried, and they tried. They had a full memo, like the, yeah. it was like whatever that, the, the Walker memo or whatever, like they had like a right. six-step plan. And then on and top... And Trump was just too too cowardly to do it. But, you know, I I really worry about the future of this country. And I the, the, the Democrats are not sufficiently worried. And right now that they have power is the time that they could actually you know, do something about it. And probably what they have to do would be pretty radical to get, you know, anybody on board. They could start with enforcing the subpoenas, maybe, you know, Mm -hmm. for the January 6th commission. That'd be good. Bannon and Mm -hmm. fucking Mark Meadows and them. Well, start with actually putting some of these people on criminal trial. Mm -hmm. Like, why aren't they leaning on the Georgia officials to, to try Trump for those, you know, election laws he broke? I... I feel like they underestimate what happened. And, you know, the more that I look at it, and obviously I'm not an expert, but I kind of feel like it's it's undeniable that our Constitution isn't fit for purpose. It hasn't been changed in so long that we're still thinking about, like, horse carriages in terms of, you know, presidential things and our weird fetishization of this document is going to be our undoing because people like Trump uber fascists like him do not care about law or you know in fascist regimes the constitution is just like their constitutions are just partial guarantees like they just don't really have any meaning because you know that the regime has their own interpretation, which is totally counter to what the words say. And I feel like the Democrats right now actually have the power to make sweeping changes, but they're not even willing to, you know, get rid of the filibuster, which isn't even in the fucking constitution. I mean, that was a recent they, thing, wasn't it? Wasn't that like in the thirties or forties, they put the filibuster in? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Basically, it's just a gentleman's agreement in the Senate, and that's what it is. And they're not willing to do even the most minor of changes because they have this weird fetishization of the American process that their enemies going to make. And I feel like it's going to be our undoing. I feel like if they actually wanted to guarantee peace and to guarantee that there won't be a second coup or that there won't, you know, a successful coup rather or that there won't be you know a revolutionary war is they have to come up with some kind of devolution or something like that as has been done in other countries and i feel like if you got all of the states to kind of agree to a convention that would set up a uh, more european union like system except with a combined army that that would lead to a lot more peace 
Um, it, it would suck, obviously, for uh, people that live in, you know, the 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 south and 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 uh, rural states. I was going to say, yeah, because of the because of the the you know how much how much money yeah. they get, like they get heavily subsidized by New York and California, and and you know places right. like West Virginia would probably cease to exist. I mean, you know. Well, I'm just saying that you know, obviously, in terms of like devolution, that's the peaceful way to do this. Yeah, it, you would have a combined budget for the army and you know for other things that are kind of agreed, like you know, in the EU. Like in mm-hmm. the EU, um, the poor states receive money from the rich states. And that, I honestly don't see a way that we maintain peace without converting to an EU-like system because we are so fucked right now. I saw uh, a poll the other day that was saying that it was like, I think 30% of Democrats that were, were polled said that they were up for you know seceding. And I, I don't know, maybe 60% of Republicans, something like that. Like it was a, it was not a small number of people that yeah, said they'd and, be down to secede. But the thing is, you know, instead of secession, radically overthrow, overhauling the Constitution would help a lot. I feel, mm. um, because that way you would still have a combined army. You wouldn't have like a fucking war. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because if this happens violently, it's going to be terrible for everybody in the country. You know, it. it if you have like a, a segment of the army fighting another segment of the army and. Yeah. And if you have like confusion as to who the actual president, I, I yeah, I. And I, I think that the only thing that we have to thank for the fact that that didn't happen is Trump's narcissism. Like mm-hmm. he just didn't want to die. You know, like if he lost, but I, I'm really worried. I, I think we're actually in a worse position than ever before. And I think that the Democrats are totally fucking clueless about where we're heading and, 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 and what's going to happen because, you know, the Americans always have this ridiculous notion that every politician is just totally in love with the idea of peaceful transfers of power. Clearly Trump isn't. And he is cultivating a section of the GOP that doesn't believe that we can carry out fair elections unless the GOP wins. Mm-hmm. So if they're ever in office again, I um I don't you know, I don't know how how we survive how we are right now because they certainly aren't gonna be afraid of the idea of amending the constitution and because it's based on the number of states for a constitutional convention and there are so many rural states, you know, yeah, I, they could easily, you know, end up with a very fascist system. And now that we're holding the cards, which we might not be for long, you know, we may as well try to bring about peace through some kind of devolution Give them, you know, the power to do what they want in their states as long as they're, you know, paying certain taxes to the federal government and just radically shrink the size of the federal government. And, you know, I, it sucks. I really wish that that didn't have to be, but there's so little holding us together that I really don't see how we avoid a war in this century. 
Fred, you're every right winger's worst nightmare. It would sound, but um, <laughs> it is. It is like um, yeah, it is kind of. I really don't want to be like hyperbolic or anything, but it does seem that I mean. Yeah, I kind of thought Q would go away when Trump was out, and in a way, I guess to an ex- to a large extent, it has. Um, mm-hmm. Censorship has been a huge part of that, which I mean, I'm. I'm See, Q, but the thing is, like, the mythos of Q and the core beliefs of Q have gone away, but the desire in among the far right for a fascist coup is still fucking there. That's what I mean. Like the damage is done. Yeah. The the, yeah, the just seeds the way have been... that they want to carry it out is different. Exactly. So and and now we're kind of seeing it dribble over at um I mean uh, we're seeing it a lot here in Australia. I think you guys more definitely would have had a similar experience but um you know the the whole COVID-19 restrictions, the vaccination, we're just in the process of getting um basically a force mandate. A lot of employees, uh, employers are forcing their employees to be mandated and now everyone mm-hmm. Is digging their heels in. Um, look, I mean, there's definitely arguments for both sides. Um, uh, und- undoubtedly, yeah, it's, 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 it's not a cut and dry, but the distrust is there. You know, like this this idea that the I really tyranny, feel that yeah yeah I just, really feel that we can't agree on anything in this country anymore, mm. and that the only way because I mean I look at the European Union. And I see a system that's working way better than our system. I see, you know, I don't think that we should copy everything about it. Like, for example, I don't think that you should be able to leave. <laughs> so there would be no possibility of, like, um, a Brexit in, in the system that I'm Oh, yeah, about. yeah. I didn't know right. what you meant by leave. I was like, what yeah, do you yeah, mean? Yeah. Like, do they get locked into the country? Or what's... <laughs> no, 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 no. Like, obviously, like, I don't think that whatever federal system is set up to replace the one that we have now. I don't think that that system should allow people to leave like the EU did, but it, I just don't know how our system survives when people don't feel like they feel a lot more loyalty to the Republican party and its beliefs than to America. And nobody agrees on what America is. You know, it's, you have people on one side that say, America is justice and equality for all under the law. And then you have people on the other side that say um, America is the, you know, white inhabitants of this land and it's about blood and soil. How do you reconcile those two things? It's incredibly difficult. And I I really, I know it can't be done. Yeah. Well, and it's like, it's, there's so many different elements that, you know, I guess like, you know, like the, the kind of echo chambers that people live in, where, where that shit's constantly reinforced mm-hmm. and like, and, you know, and on the Republican side, like it seems like very kind of shallow and superficial to me, most of the ways that they celebrate patriotism. I know, but when you look at these, when you look at these militia members and see that they, they're very much willing to die for, you know, secession, like they all want secession. And mm-hmm. I don't know how we prevent that. I mean, because I really only see like two scenarios, either, by some miracle, the Democrats are able to stay in power. You know, there are no massive questions about, like, who is actually the president, right? And somehow they're just able to keep winning elections, which is totally unheard of in American society, that one power party is just going to hold power forever. So, but let's say it happens, you know, due to demographics, whatever. And maybe uh, as the GOP continues to lose and lose and lose, they kind of, you know, die off like on national politics 
the level of national politics. And then basically the fight becomes between a, a splintered Democratic Party. Like I've seen this as a possible scenario, you know, at the level of national politics. But mm. the issue is still that on the level of state politics, the GOP is going to be tremendously powerful in states like Louisiana and uh, Alabama and um, Texas Ohio, and you know? Florida, man. Like Florida, yes, yeah. of course. Um, yeah. And, and you see and what, what they're doing. Oh, I don't know how we prevent, you know, three percenters or whoever in these states deciding that this is their moment and, you know, they're going to secede because – I don't know if you've noticed, but in a lot of states right now, uh, they, the, the, some of the like rural counties in, in California are a great example where they're like refusing to follow state gun law. Yeah. That's and, true that. You know, and, and another thing that I notice is uh, just, I mean, I view it as a good thing that marijuana has become so legalized, but I also view it as really ominous that. As like that, we're all breaking the law. Even states are breaking the law as regards marijuana. And nothing is happening because the federal government feels that, you know, that that national security would be at risk if they actually tried to um, enforce it because, you know, people would suddenly become a lot less supportive of the idea of having a federal government. Yeah, right? totally. So I... I, I view a lot of that as like, you know, the federal government's support, uh, their legitimacy is 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 really in question, and there are so many laws that they actually can't enforce because it would be so unpopular that their legitimacy would like you know go go into the toilet, and so I I don't know how we survive as a, a unified nation without a totally different system. Well, um, Fred, you, I mean, you were kind of talking before about, you know, just how what led up to this is how divided everyone's become. And, you know, it's easily arguable that so much of that has been because of social media, not necessarily, you know, it, the, the narrative's done. always been the mainstream media are telling lies, but now it's like, it's just, <laughs> right. the, it's just the, the social media, the social media. And, um, you know, you, you have started a social media platform effectively with, with HN um, and you've fought really hard to take down a, uh, a website that was, uh, a symbol for for many as a free speech absolutist um, mm-hmm. website. So, what do you think? I mean, everything has changed so quickly with with COVID. So now, what do you think about the internet as as it's known now? I don't know whether yeah. we're getting the same internet One- as you guys in America, but I my last episode of my podcast got pulled down from YouTube. I mean, I'm not having a big old whinge. I don't, mm-hmm. I didn't lose any money from it or anything, but everything that I said, we're talking about COVID stuff. It was very much in line with, um, the, you know, medical guidelines, but because I was just talking about it, it got pulled. Right. Um, and we're just seeing this more and more, and this is what everyone's kind of warned us about. And now it's kind of happening. Like what, what, so what do you think one, about the online? Um, one thing, one thing I worry about is that radicalization once done is not easily undone at a mass level. And I feel like all of the damage that was done in terms of radicalization between With QAnon or just everything? 
No, everything. Yeah. Anti-vaccine, mm-hmm. everything. QAnon, you know. But it, it, QAnon is like more of a flash in the pan compared to, you know, all of the anti-vaccine stuff. Sure. All of the anti-election, all of the anti, all of the racist stuff, the belief in white genocide. These are powerful <laughs> beliefs that people teach to their children in the same way as religions. And it, it's true that, you know, these social media companies are finally tackling it. But first of all, there's no legal requirement. It's all just consensus of large companies right now. And we can see that the people that are already radicalized are very willing to go to another platform like BitChute or Odyssey or oh, that would be O-D-Y-S-E-E or, um, you know, uh, Gab, for example. And they – Telegram. They – like look how many fucking followers and Watkins has on Telegram. Yeah, it's exploded. And so it's crazy. It – we are not – focused enough on the fact that these alternative, you know, some people call them um, alt-tech, right? Platforms are as popular as they are, and we only put pressure on you know, the companies that pressure actually works on. So, it it, it, it just doesn't seem to me like radicalization can be undone. And so, what, what I've said to you earlier is kind of the thoughts of somebody who has given up, right, on the idea that radicalization can be undone and is just thinking about, okay, well, given the fact that my country is full of people that are totally radicalized and that, I don't think I can talk any sense into how do I maintain peace? You know, that's kind of my view, but I could be wrong. I just feel like I have a lot of experience with the internet and internet communities and I kind of feel like once somebody is really as deep into it as a lot of the believers in QAnon are, they are never going to, on a large scale, you know, you'll have occasionally one or two that will come out with like a feel-good story. Broken free of that, and I, I applaud them. I think that that's really, you know, good that they were able to realize the bullshit and what they're being told and return to consensus reality. But I feel like consensus reality is never coming back and we have to figure out what to do about that so you kind of think that the um a lot of these big tech platforms taking down and and completely i think it's too late but do you do you think this is um do you think it's justified and kind of what they're doing though like because we i think everyone does kind of agree that there should be some kind of regulation of this misinformation but it doesn't really appear that anyone has a very good answer for it because now we're just seeing um conversations getting shut down on monopolized um well no it's not just it it makes ironically a lot of it causes the exact opposite of what they want and feeds back into the conspiracy uh uh-huh it feeds back into the conspiracy theories because the very fact that you who are talking about covid and i mean i believe that you weren't saying anything that was not in agreement with what the beliefs of the WHO are. My right? views like, are very vanilla. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm <laughs> trying to say. But the fact that even you are censored means that the conspiracy theory that it's not possible to talk about COVID on YouTube is correct. Yeah, you know, like exactly. that, it, that, that they don't want us like, you know, the way that they would put it. They, you know, in italics don't want us talking about COVID. Well, that's right. You know, they don't. So 
it, it, I, but it's dominating yeah, our life. That's the thing that's so frustrating is this this issue. We're all in, been in lockdown for months, so this issue is forced in our faces every single day of our lives. There's nothing else to talk about, and then to exactly. sense and then to censor that is such a uh, right. And then you censor somebody crazy, for doing it. Mm. and then they look into why they were censored, and you have all of these voices on, just like I was saying, BitChute, Gab, Telegram, telling them why they were censored. You know, their reasons are total bullshit, and really mm-hmm. it only has to do with PR and, you know, Facebook's yep. idea of shareholder value. But it doesn't matter to, you know, the people that were censored and, and, and what they're going to believe. They're going to believe in the most interesting, outlandish story that's told. And, uh, yeah, I feel like, no, it isn't justified what what, what, what what's being done. And... I don't know what we do because clearly big tech is a radicalization engine, but at the same time, a controlled big tech is a radicalization engine, right? <laughs> yeah, like it, yeah. It, it, and it yeah. gets like, uh, it's so screwed. And it also <laughs> has become like, as far as I'm concerned, a lot more problematic because of how slick, the people that are trying to pull in, um, you know, like pull in people into their conspiracy communities, how good they've gotten oh, at, yeah. at manipulate. You know, um, do you remember? Do you remember the documentary that was called Pandemic? Yes, never yes. saw it, but yes. As part of their documentary release, they already had a plan and everything set up for when it got pulled. Right. Just, just <laughs> you right. make it knowing that they're going to pull it, and then you get like all these yes. like donations, and like yeah, we're going to yes. make another one, and we're going to put it like they live had a pre-recorded on... video to put out as soon as they got pulled. <sighs> they're, they're getting really fucking good at this, <laughs> and it's yeah. like, and a lot of the anti-vax stuff that you see as well has just been it's gotten really, really slick. Well, um, well, that I mean, that's kind of what I'm so interested in is like many people with this anti-vax stuff have um, some concerns and they're, and they're so frustrated that they're getting all lumped into this kind of conspiracy basket, which I could, I could understand how frustrating that would be if you're on the other side and you don't see yourself that way. Mm-hmm. But the thing that I'm really con- um, interested in um, is who are the people that are kind of guiding the narrative or platforming this? So, like, we've got a freedom movement that's uh, been organised by someone who rubs shoulders with the Proud Boys. We've got these new far-right um, people reporting who are giving the only real voice that are like, if you look into them, they're very problematic right-wing people. Exactly. Um, so that's skewing the narrative because no one's right, doing a good Ron job. <laughs> yeah, Ron Watkins' fans, by and large, do not have the racist beliefs that he has towards black people. You know? Like, they, by and large, don't believe in the race and IQ conspiracy theory, but they are using the issues that they do agree on and making it so that people, very frustrated for, you know, Let's say vaccines, very frustrated about vaccines, are getting all their content from these people. And so gradually, you know, people like Ghost Ezra can start convincing them on the other elements of their belief system. And it's been done that like they that. They had no interest in. 
it has been done like that by a lot of conspiracy theorists for years. Like I talk about Alex mm-hmm. Jones a bit because I use him as it kind of, you know, it's how I gauge the, the kind of temperature of the conspiracy community is through Alex. But, you know, like like he got a lot of people on board just through questioning 9-11 and being kind of anti-Bush, you know, and being like anti-Cheney at the time. And so like young like men like myself at the time who were very anti the Iraq war and, um, you know, the levels of spying that came out of 9-11, we're like, well, you know, maybe we got like an ally here. Like, you know, he seems to be... Um, anti-war, anti-Bush, and you know, like he doesn't seem to be like like a racist. Um, but then it kind of turns Although out that maybe one of maybe one of the answers for what to do can also be seen through Alex Jones, mm-hmm. because the lawsuit against him for his support of the Sandy Hook, uh, Sandy Hook conspiracy theory, exactly, has actually led to a lot of consequences for him. And is going to lead to him either having to pay a huge judgment or evading that judgment and losing, you know, a lot of his business in the process due to court forfeiture. And so obviously he can't be thrown in jail for a civil lawsuit, but he can still lose a lot of money and all of his, you know, on paper assets. So he I feel like a lot of the politicians and people that were legitimately wronged by the Q conspiracy believers and people like Ron Watkins, you know, they view themselves as above suing for defamation for things like this, but that's actually something that they could do to help and should probably be pressured to do. Mm. Like it shouldn't just be, uh, it shouldn't just be the responsibility of that voting machine dominion, uh, corporation, the voting machine producer to sue a lot of these people for defamation. Like, I don't know why the Clintons, for example, don't set up that same kind of campaign. It really could help because a lot of these grifters have made verifiably defamatory statements, knowing that they're false. And even though the Clintons are public figures, it the cases are so airtight that I think they're at least worth attempting. And, you know, I believe that in the next few years, we're going to see as more court forfeitures happen against Alex Jones, his influence wane because the lawyers there are very dedicated to making sure that they, you know, get all of his assets. And yeah. that is actually one of the ways to fight things like this. And, it, it plays you know, into his thing as well, though, don't you reckon, Fred? Because, like, he would say that if he was getting successfully, you know, taken down by the Clintons, that it just proves that everything that he said has been right. I mean, it would definitely, like, fuck up his money, which I'm all it about. Like, take would, that it cash. Would, but It would play to his audience, but it also would stop somebody like him who is very dangerous and has no interest in the truth from growing that up. Mm, And I think one thing we have to consider is whether we're so scared of playing to his audience that we are just turning a blind eye to the fact that he's growing that audience. And, you know, it might be all right to play to his audience if doing so can stop that audience from expanding. I mean, I don't know, but I feel like given how little, given how few things we've seen that work, you know, and this is basically the only thing that's worked is directly challenging them for defamation in a civil court. And, you know, people that were wronged 
and had the very defamatory statements posted by them, you know, shouldn't see themselves as above suing, I think. Hmm. Um, but, yeah. Fred, uh, yeah, okay, I'll, yeah. I'll, um, we'll wrap it up in a sec, but I did just want okay. to ask you, um, when John McAfee died... His fi- mm-hmm. a, a big queue came up on his Instagram um, post just just after he died, um, and now his Telegram pages have been um, they're just straight up queuing on talking points. Where always where we go one, where we mm-hmm. uh, we go all or whatever posted. Do you have any insight? Because he didn't seem to be anyway queuing on inclined when he was alive. Do you have any insight or inkling as to who might be? behind this, uh, you know, making McAfee this QAnon figure these days? I'm not sure if you're even, like, familiar with it. I'm familiar and I've seen the big Q that was there. Uh, I don't use Instagram that much, so I only saw a screenshot that was posted to Twitter. But what I, if I had to guess what happened there was, obviously McAfee was in prison, right? So he couldn't maintain his accounts on his own. And... He needed to have some kind of ally on the outside. And do you remember when he ran for president mm-hmm. as like the Libertarian Party? Yep. Mm-hmm. So I think at that time he came into contact with a lot of social media managers who obviously are far right individuals. And I think that those people are the ones running his accounts now. You know, the ones that helped him come up with his Libertarian Party platform. Obviously, when he was alive, he wouldn't have approved any of the, you yep. know, Q posts and stuff that they wanted to make. But now that he is deceased, he doesn't have a say. So oh, it's just super I convenient like, for them, isn't it? Uh, it is super convenient for them. Yeah, I, I feel like he essentially accounts like John McAfee's are viewed as kind of a currency in their world. And right. You know, it, it, it's interesting. We began this discussion talking about how Flat Earth is always trying to get <laughs> sports stars and rappers, right? Yeah. It's on their side. And it's that same kind of thing where John McAfee's account is a boon to them. And it's something they would really seek after. So even if the original people that were involved in that Libertarian Party campaign did not, you know, aren't in charge of it now, they would realize that that's a tradable asset, essentially. Hmm. And some of these Q you know, supporters are very wealthy, like Jim Watkins. So I, obviously I don't know who's posting as McAfee, but it wouldn't surprise me if they you know, decided to use that account to trumpet beliefs that they had, but which McAfee wouldn't have allowed them to express under his name when he was yeah. Yep. I mean, definitely, definitely seems sense. like that way. Definitely. And um, there's just no convincing uh, the people who are already already signed up to the cause, I guess. But um, you know, whatever. Um, we can we try, but yeah, it's yeah. like you know, it, it very quickly runs into the fact, and this is a very inconvenient fact because you have a lot of grifters on the other side who are like, you know, support my organization. I'm indie radicalization and you know they try to stir up uh, uh, drama by saying you know like all of these journalists and all these podcasters benefit from the 
existence of Q, and so they're not really interested in fighting Q and then de-radicalization, but I am. Uh, Fucking stewing on it. Yeah, stewing is what I'm talking about right now. The stewing slash blue and on belief system. Um, <laughs> the unfortunate reality that they never want to confront is that there is no method of de-radicalization that has proven even effective at the individual level, much less the broad societal level. And the government puts a lot of money into de-radicalization efforts. And so far, the research has not been like convincing. You, you know, trying to, like, the first thing that was thought of in the 70s with the cult members is forcible de-radicalization. So actually kidnapping them, you know, uh, usually at the behest of their parents. And then trying to do a forcible de-radicalization. Obviously, that did not work and, you know, was illegal. And a lot of these organizations got in trouble. And so they've come up with, a you know, a whole slew of de-radicalization methods. And I'm very wary of people that come out and, 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 and make huge promises about them or their organization's ability to de-radicalize when the proof isn't there. And I'm not saying don't try, but I am saying that whenever there's a problem in society, people benefit financially from being very confident that they're the only ones that can solve it. And, you know, it it isn't the role of journalists or activists to de-radicalize. It's not something that we know how to do. I'm a computer programmer. I, I definitely don't know how to make your grandma stop believing in QAnon as much as I would like to know, you know? And I feel like there's a false narrative that, you know, because journalists aren't themselves involved in de-radicalization that they don't care or whatever. I I feel like definitely we need to be putting more focus on de-radicalization. But, you know, as I told you earlier, I am pretty... Let's just say that I'm pretty depressed about the chances of any of it working, you know, especially any of the legal methods working. Yeah, and it's it's such a um, a, a Trumpian notion that in itself, like the eye alone can fix it type of thing. Mm-hmm. Like that's yeah. really Trumpy thinking. Of those, but yeah, of there those are so guys. many organizations that basically say exactly that. Only we can fix it, you know. And there's individual, they're different problems, you know, like, like some, they're all there for, I mean, a lot of them, I think, are there to find some kind of um, community and validation um, and also, uh, you know, an outlet for their grievances that they can't understand or right. trying to find meaning there. But yeah, it's, it's, it's far more complex than, you know, some one size fits all thing, I'd imagine anyway. Well, hey, was there anything in the documentary that um, was dying to be said that just wasn't able to make the cut? Or is there any kind of just wacky QAnon news that that um, that is kind of happening now? That is that is like an after residual effect. That is just like and and who's who is StuAnon? Maybe either one of you could uh, could kind of go into that. Oh well, as far as wacky QAnon news goes, um, I feel like the documentary was very good and very broad, but it never it never touched on the fact that. Just like with Bitcoin, when there were a lot of people who very much wanted to be recognized as Satoshi Nakamoto, 
and were willing to falsify evidence, lie, and, you know, set up a grift where the entire grift is based on the fact that they say that they're Satoshi. Um, that also exists in Q. You know, um, none of the candidates who, like, are just dying for anybody to recognize them as Q uh, were brought up. And so they are a crazy breed. Uh, the two main ones that I'm talking, thinking about are Austin Steinbart and Lisa Clapier. Clapier, maybe. They both are just, you know, really, really, really want somebody to recognize them as Q. Uh, <laughs> Steinbart was that guy that uh, took a photo of himself in a data center. And then uh, Clapier is, uh, God, she is... I, I, somebody on my Twitter called her Wu-Anon, and I think that that's very <laughs> description for her because she believes in, like, Reiki and, uh, like, she, she's a light worker, you know, like that kind <laughs> of, you know, alien dimensions, that kind of thing. Yeah, um, just new, new ager, like, you know, yeah, existential new, age. new yeah. ager, yeah. esoteric new yeah. I feel like it. that was something that probably he could have touched on is just, like, that there's... Like, he, obviously, he was trying to figure out who Q actually was. So he didn't want to go into these wacky grifts of people that are, like, dying to be recognized as Q, but aren't. Um, but that that was something they could have mentioned. Um, as far as who Duanon is, so obviously, uh, putting Anon at the end of a word is a very funny way to, like, describe something that's QAnon-like, but not QAnon. So right. I would say that it using the Anon... Uh, suffix can pretty much be applied to any movement that is constantly talking about how justice is coming, th that is always talking about, you know, um, the U.S. federal law that defines treason, that is always just, I, I, I mean, I even saw one of their tweets today that even included the word boom, <laughs> you know, like it, 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 it really reminded me of that dewdrop that's just boom, 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 boom. I mean, this whole... Because it's a very viral thing to do. You know, it's something that people want to believe that uh, the, the system is, 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 is hot on the tails of all of these evildoers. And they're all just going to be, you know, bundled up and, and thrown into prison. But we know that that's not the case. And I feel like I have such fucking short memories. Because that was exactly what people were thinking about the Mueller report. You know, mm. I feel like, like, for example, what's going on right now with the January 6th Commission in Congress? I feel like that is going to be a disappointment on par with the Mueller report because it's just going to be a whole lot of talking and a whole lot of nothing because I feel like our system and people don't want to accept this is very, uh, very incoherent and powerful at the end of the day. And, um, yeah, but, but, Stuanon is essentially somebody who is, you know, constantly roping people along on Twitter with the belief that, you know, any day now, uh, Ron and, and and Jim and a whole bunch of others, including myself, funny enough, are, you know, going to be uh, just just in like in the same kind of thing, in like a day of justice, right? Are all just going to be, you know, tried in a federal court and, and jailed. As much as I'd like to see some of that happen, I um, I think that it's just another attack on consensus reality where, you know, the difficult truth that nothing is happening and, 
you know, it, it causes people to think that they can just sit back when they can't. Mm. I think that's fucking yeah, spot on. And and you see, what I like really struggled with with the Stuart on thing, just in relation to you, is I just didn't, I just didn't get it. It's like I've been paying attention to you know Q and on for. Like, well, it's years. much like Q, and that the evidence is so ridiculous. Like, for example, one of the one of the pieces of Stuart on evidence is the fact that I answered a question on Quora about a Filipino religion named Iglesia Ni Cristo, and I didn't support this religion. I'm not a member. I didn't, you know, say anything good about it. I just said, oh, yeah, this religion exists in the Philippines. It's the third or largest one. And here's what they believe about Christmas. I believe that the only reason I wrote the answer was because I was trying to figure it out myself. And it came on that core page and it didn't have a good answer. So I wrote one. But they use that to say, oh, so Fred was interested in Iglesia Ni Cristo. And maybe he's a member. I mean, I believe that the Stuart on himself, uh, my name for Jim Stewartson, believes that I'm a member, right? And somehow, for some reason, hiding it. He what has all what does that prove, cases. though? What is, it, what is that supposed I to prove? Know. Oh, well, because Lisa Clapier, one of the people who really wants people to believe she's Q, and also a friend of, God, what the hell is it? Uh, yeah, who is the guy that Stu thinks is Q. Yeah, so... <laughs> Man, that must be the weirdest feeling having people I know, it's, creating it's conspiracies about a, you. <laughs> You're at the center of so many of these conspiracies. <laughs> yeah, I'm in, at the center of a lot. Um, one of them is just the fact that my surname is Brennan, which is one of the most common surnames in the U.S. But oh, they think that that means I'm related to the CIA director. Yeah, like John Brennan, the CIA director, who's not the CIA director yeah. anymore, and is like, you know, that. Yeah, num- he's not anymore, but they obviously still think that he has power in the deep state. Um, but he's like number one target yeah. of the right wing, and you're supposed to be yeah. in bed with yeah. him in the deep state? <laughs> it, a lot of surname stuff is very common in conspiracy theories, like the fact that, uh, you know, like that's why they all hate Mike Rothschild, just because of his surname. Oh, it's ridiculous. Um, yeah, it, it, it really. When it comes to kind of, you know, anti-Q conspiracy theories can be just as ridiculous as uh, pro-Q. Because, you know, I feel like there's something about these very, you know, fact-free, as I would call them, conspiracy theories that are based on, you know, and all it's really based on is drawing connections. So you say, okay, this person was in the Philippines when this person was in the Philippines. Therefore, they're involved in Q, right? And that kind of thinking, you know, is appealing to a lot of people, even though, obviously, it doesn't stand up to any scrutiny. It, I feel like a lot of people just don't understand what a journalistic standard of evidence is, and <laughs> they don't agree with it. You know, they, they think that uh, connections, so-called, are... are more valuable than they actually are. Yeah. Uh, let's just say that they would make very poor lawyers. Well, it's just barely even circumstantial. Like, does that even reach the level of being circumstantial? Just complete con- no. conjecture. No, it doesn't. Complete no, it doesn't. But it, yeah, circumstantial evidence in in a court, the um, bar is a lot higher. But it's it's just ridiculous that you know these people are just so constantly putting out content and. Really, just like you, it's all about going viral, you know? And one of them was banned recently, Bad Company, with two Ds. I saw that so today. B-A-D-D. 
yeah, that, that just happened today. All right. And it's because they're basically they're basically the same tactics as Q. You know, it's it's just on the other side, and the, it, it's just as dangerous because they have really whipped up a lot of hatred against Russians and anybody that you know is Eastern European, like anybody with a Russian surname among these people is just automatically suspect. Right. And I find that to be like sometimes even shockingly racist. But anyway, yeah, yeah, far so, out. Fred, I'd say we'd have a we've had a good long chat. Yeah, oh, man. yeah, Fred. I was just about to wrap it up, but um, thank you uh, so much for making the time, buddy. Um, been watching you from afar. Yeah, no problem. Great to talk. Um, you're awesome. Uh, <laughs> you're such an interesting guy. Yeah, Fred. <laughs> well, like, thank you. Yeah, thanks so much for for doing it. It was an absolute pleasure. And and I wanted to just ask quickly before before we end, like, how is your dog Hitomi? How's she going? Oh, she's great. Yeah. Um, I live in New Jersey now, uh, Atlantic City. Uh, and yeah, she loves it here. We, you know, we've kind of, you know, settled into a new routine. It's a very different routine. Um, you know, obviously I, uh, have no, you know, further, uh, contact with my ex-wife, but, um, other than other than that, you know, we uh, we're still alive. You know, we're we're making it out here, but it, you know, uh, I'm just blessed that I was able to escape the Philippines and kind of, you know, whatever I can do in these what I view pretty ominously to be my final years, uh, you know, to help is what I'll do. Um, yeah. A fucking legend, man. Fred, how how can people you. reach out Thanks to so you if, if if you even want that? Where do and is there anything uh, yeah, you want to plug? You can follow me on follow me on Twitter, fr underscore Brennan. Uh, I don't, you know, I don't make money from my tweets. I don't uh, accept donations or anything like that. I feel like it allows me to be more honest, and also I feel like uh, I like the fact that. You know, I've always had, like, my main love in life has always been computer programming, and that's never going to change. So I like, you know, being a computer programmer for most of my time. And so that's why my personal website is mostly related to the fonts that I work on and the software that I work on. That's uh, dba.gg. Um, yeah, yeah that's, awesome. that's about it. Thank you, buddy. Thanks so much, Fred, man. Really good to chat to you. Yeah. See you, buddy. And okay, thanks cool. thanks for listening, everyone. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. See you. Bye.